Welcome to the RE Human Layer Security Podcast, the show that flips the script on cybersecurity. I'm Tim Sadler, the CEO and co-founder of Tessian, and in each episode, I'll be interviewing IT and business leaders about why we need to protect people, not just machines and data, to stop breaches and empower businesses to achieve their missions. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode two of the RE Human Layer Security Podcast. In this episode, I'm speaking with Stefan Kazriel, the former CEO of Upwork and a future of work visionary. Now, some companies have been practicing remote working for many years, but for others, the COVID-19 pandemic has forced a remote work environment almost overnight. In my research for this discussion, I was amazed to find that last year, 44% of companies didn't allow remote work at all. And globally, only 52% of people worked from home at least once a week. We're fast forward now to 2020 and things couldn't look more different. And as Stefan says in our upcoming discussion, it's likely we'll never go fully back to our old ways of working. Stefan shares his tips on how to build a remote working strategy for the long term, his opinions on what the future holds, and explains why he believes flexible working is a win-win for everyone. Stefan, can you tell us a bit more about how distributed working was built into Upwork's DNA? Yeah, you know, there's an expression here. So first of all, thank you for having me, Tim. This is fantastic. Um, but, the, uh, you know, one of the expressions that people use in uh, in the Bay Area is eating your own dog food. And so Upwork is a website and a mobile app that helps people work from home and helps companies engage with people that work from home. And so we decided from day one that we couldn't convince our customers to do this if we didn't do it ourselves. And so Upwork today is about 2,000 people um, there's about 300 of them who work in an office, two offices in the Bay Area, one in Chicago. Uh, but the vast majority of people are working from home. I think we have people in something like 500 different cities in the world. And um, some of them have been working with the company for a decade or longer. So this is not just short-term gigs for low-value work. A lot of this is core uh, software development, legal services, financial services for the company, just people that are not physically present in the office. At 500 offices, that is a huge achievement to have that kind of scale of remote workforce. What have you actually learned along the way about making remote work a success with your team? Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different learnings. I would say increasingly people have documented those learnings. So Upwork has an entire website and it's been updated for the pandemic. Uh, you know, obviously to state the obvious, there's a lot more people that are working from home right now than ever in the past, many of whom were not prepared for this and their companies were not prepared for this. So Upwork has published a pretty meaningful set of recommendations, but but it's not the only company that has done it. GitLab has an amazing uh, set of documents, Zapier, um, Buffer, Trello, which is part of Atlassian. And there's probably half a dozen different companies that have done uh, remote at scale, you know, automatic, the people behind WordPress, or the people behind Basecamp. Um, so I would say like at the very highest level, I would just say treat people the way you want to be treated, right? Like put yourself in the shoes of one of your people working from home, particularly in a time like today where this is not normal remote work. This is remote work where people may be sick, people may be scared of being sick, they may have people close to them that are sick, they may have children at home, they may have multiple people on Zoom at any point in time and not enough bandwidth to connect. And so just, I would say rule number one is empathy. Realize that this is a tough time for everybody and leading with care and love is probably one of the best things you can do. 
The second one, which uh, is probably pretty obvious, is if you manage people in different time zones, uh, realize that they have different working hours from you. So switch from a very synchronous model where everybody's on Zoom all day long or everybody's meeting at the same time to something that's more asynchronous where you um, you do more writing or you do more things on Loom, you know, which is kind of the the offline version of Zoom, if you will. Um, and you know, and I would say that the third thing is um, just realize that you need to communicate even more when people are distributed than when they're local. So um, you know, repeat yourself, set up meetings when meetings need to be set up, document more than you would otherwise. Don't assume that everybody knows what's in your head. Because uh, that's really not true, even when they're working close to you. But it's even harder for them to get into your head if if they're remote. Um, and there's a long, long yeah. list beyond that. But I would say those are like the high level ones. Yeah, and I love that point about leading with empathy. I think it's so so important during this time. And obviously, these are you know we're seeing the kind of um, the key takeaways from years and years of of trial and error. What have been some of the lessons learned along the way? And you know you've outlined some really important practices here for companies who are just getting to grips with this with this new normal. Um, but it'd be really interesting to understand, you know, um, what hasn't worked out in the way that you thought it might have and uh, what approach would you encourage companies to take so that they can have a continual cycle of learning with how they're improving their uh, remote work initiative? Yeah, and I think like that's the key, right? Is a continuous cycle of learning, like get feedback on what's working and not, document the best practices, share them through the organization, especially if you're a bigger company. Uh, there might be part of your organization that's doing it really well and other parts of their organization, not so much. And sharing best practices is absolutely essential. Um, but, you know, I would, I would say there's probably two things. One is um, uh, learn about time zones. You know, if people are in multiple different countries, um, work-life balance matters and expecting somebody to be always awake from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. because that's what you need um, unless that's truly what they were signing up for initially, it's probably not a good idea. So when we assembled teams within Upwork, we were always cognizant of having people on potentially two different time zones that were compatible with each other, but rarely on three. So for instance, US plus Asia plus Europe, somebody does not sleep, right? So that's that's one component of it. The second one, um, which actually is what companies are being forced to do right now, so that's helpful, is when you're switching from a very local model to a very distributed model, the easiest way to do it is not to hire a bunch of people from the outside that are working remotely, but instead to allow your current employees, especially the people that are the most tenured, that really know everybody, know how to get things done. When they give you feedback, you're going to listen to the feedback, let them work remotely. And by the way, that doesn't just mean working from home in San Francisco. That means if they choose to relocate to another part of the country, let them do that. In fact, encourage them to do it. We at Upwork, we we have a um, relocation package. We actually call it the delocation package, which is if you're based in San Francisco and you want to move to another part of the country, we'll actually pay for your moving expenses. And, and the idea there is it's, it's hard enough if you're not a remote first company, it's hard enough for your existing employees to work remotely. It's even harder for new people to come in and work remotely. And so the challenge with a lot of companies is they try to go from one extreme, which is, you know, everybody's in the same uh, office to the other where you hire a bunch of new people who know nothing about the company and know, no, don't know anybody and have them be successful. And I think the intermediate plan is take your existing people, allow them to work from home. So check this is happening right now. Step two is allow your existing people to relocate to another part of the country if they choose to. 
And then step three, start to open up hiring, probably first in places where you have local employees already, because you're going to have that, you know, face-to-face -face connection from time to time, which is really helpful to build a sense of community. And this leads me on nicely, I think, that uh, the delocation pack, I like that uh, terminology. And there are a lot of people who are, uh, I think, rethinking where they have to be based um, in, in terms of, you know, their location to actually now work uh, for the companies they do. Um, you describe flexible working as a win-win scenario, uh, I guess, for employees and also for the employer. Could you maybe unpack that a little bit and just share a bit more of your thinking around that with us? Yeah, and, and I would say there's even a third component, which is society as a whole, right? So why is it a good thing for employers? Well, you know, the main downside, which is the myth, is people are going to be working less. It's bad for your culture. You're going to have retention issues, all that stuff. None of which is true, right? In, in companies that are good at measuring worker productivity, and most of them are not, uh, there is no data that shows that worker productivity goes down when people are working remotely. In fact, there's tons of data that shows the opposite. Uh, the idea that it's bad for retention, like employee loyalty, I can give you the example of Upwork. The people that work remotely stay at the company at least twice as long as the people that are based in San Francisco. And it's pretty obvious why. You know, if you're based in San Francisco, you've got all the other tech companies that are trying to poach you all the time. When you live in the middle of Sacramento or Stockton or Modesto or even outside of California, there's a lot less competition for talent, right? So good for companies. Employee retention, obviously cost, you know, like the, the cost of living in San Francisco is so high that you can find equally talented talent for significantly less money uh, elsewhere, right? So that, that's the company point. And I would say more than cost savings for the most part, it's about attraction of talent and retention of the talent. Uh, on the employee side, you know, like I think we've done many, many surveys over the years at Upwork and most people would prefer to have more flexibility in their life and to be able to potentially relocate to another part of the country. You know, the San Jose Mercury News does a study every year and they just updated it and went up again. Uh, but last year, more than 50% of the tech employees who live in the Bay Area said that they would choose to leave the Bay Area if they could keep the same job and the same pay, right? And so there's a meaningful number of people who live in places like New York and London and San Francisco and Shanghai, uh, not because they really enjoy the lifestyle or the cost of living, but because that's where the jobs are, right? So that, that's how it helps people. But secondly, it also helps people that are um, excluded from the current workforce to participate in the workforce. So one of the studies that Upwork does every year called Freelancing in America, um, we ask freelancers, uh, would you ever choose to work for a regular employer? And 50% of freelancers say no. And when you ask them why, usually the, the answers are care duties, um, a physical or mental disability that makes it hard for them to contribute to a regular office environment, or living in a part of the country where there's no job. So you're really allowing lots and lots of people who otherwise can't get access to great jobs like yours to have access to them. And then the third piece is society as a whole. So one thing that's uh, you know, pretty well documented by economists is if you if you have a highly paid worker move to a part of the country that is economically challenged, it creates on average an extra four jobs. And it's pretty obvious why, right? You put a you know, highly paid software developer in the middle of the country, and they're going to start to consume goods and services, which further uh, creates more jobs and restarts the new economy, as opposed to today. I mean, if you look at the situation here in San Francisco today, almost all of the people whose jobs truly require them to be in San Francisco can't afford to live anywhere nearby. 
And meanwhile, the people whose jobs can be done from anywhere all live in San Francisco. So it's kind of the opposite of where it needs to be. And I think this distributed work approach can really be a win-win-win for society, for the workers, and for the employers as well. Yeah, yeah. There's some fascinating stats there as well. I, I'd seen a few uh, a few of those recently. Um, it does, you know, it, it seems obvious when you say it that there are so many other benefits that come from from this kind of setup. And I, I guess though, from the company's perspective, it's it's really really important that you're empowering. Uh, your workforce and your employees um, to be successful in this environment. And there are certain things uh, when you're running a company that you you still have to get right, whether you're a remote work environment or whether you are in physical offices around the world. Um, obviously, a topic very close to our heart is security and thinking about how you keep people secure with the data they're handling, uh, whether they're working from their home office or their or their front room. Um, it'd be interesting from your perspective, some of the things that you've done uh, to empower your workforce overall from a technology perspective? And then when it comes to actually security specifically, what do you think companies need to have in mind? Yeah, absolutely. So there's definitely several uh, you know, components to allowing a um, distributed workforce to be successful. There are human resources related matters. There are legal related matters, right? Employment is regulated in just about every country. So you need to understand what you're getting yourself into. Uh, usually there's tax and accounting implications. You know, if you have nexus in multiple states in the US, let alone if you have uh, people in multiple countries and you employ them directly, this might create uh, financial tax and accounting uh, matters that you need to resolve. And then to your point, there's huge security considerations that you need to take into account. And, and I would say, you know, like in the case of Upwork specifically, there's there's two different natures of the issue, if you will. One is bring your own device, right? Most of the people on Upwork are freelancers. We don't send them a laptop. We don't send them an iPhone. We don't control the, their environment. Uh, but then they get access to secure environment of the Upwork infrastructure, right? So securing a bring your own device type of environment, absolutely critical. The second one is we don't know where they are. You know, when everybody's in the office, you you know that you don't have people spying on them from the you know the, behind them on Starbucks. Uh, when they are somewhere else in the world, you can't assume that, right? So you need to design uh, systems and policies to make sure that the intellectual property of the company and the security of the company is not compromised. So to give you one example, um, very early on at Upwork, we decided that anything that needs to be secure should be behind the VPN, irrespective of whether you're working from home or working from the office, right? And so we've really, from the from day one, said location should not matter. There's nothing magical about the office. We should always assume that you are in a non-trusted environment and make sure that we build uh, systems to accommodate for that. Yeah, and this also comes down to the point as well, I imagine, of uh, the culture that you create as a as a remote work company. And, you know, we're used to um, building culture or, or certainly as a CEO, I've been used to building culture when uh, you have people in the office, you can get people together, you can do socials together, those kinds of things. What are some of the tips that you have for organizations who are thinking about how you actually create a really, really amazing culture uh, as a remote company and, you know, having to consider all of these other things like the practices? And you know, you, you ran through some of them. HR, legal, security. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, I would say other than right now, where everybody's stuck at home and really can't meet face to face. In general, I think most remote-first companies tend to do lots and lots of face-to-face -face meetings. At, at Upwork, we had a meaningful 
uh, travel budget where uh, we would do meetups. So not 2,000 people in the same place, which you know doesn't work for most people, but we would give agile teams a you know small budget every year so that they could meet up in a cool city. And every time we'd have meetings in you know Budapest and Madrid and you know Chile and where have you. And it's a great perk for people and. For a couple of weeks, they would be in an Airbnb and they'd be coding during the day and they'd be, um, you know, socializing in the evenings and weekends. And people tend to really like that, right? And so face-to-face does matter. I think we're going to go from a world where we organize off-sites to a world where we organize on-sites, if you will. Uh, but this, you know, is really true. Like there is a social connection at work that is hard to do over Zoom. And re- regularly, you need to, um, you know, update it by having face-to-face meetings. Now, that's not really possible right now. But I would say the second part to your answer is culture is bigger than just, you know, free coffee in the office or ping pong table or what have you. Culture is a set of values and a shared purpose. And one thing that's amazing people everywhere in the world, or at least everywhere in the U.S., is you're widening the, the talent pool so much that you can find people that are really passionate about what you do. Um, and so as a result, you can find people who really live the values, live the purpose of the company. They're here because they truly believe in the mission of what you're trying to do. And that to me is really what culture is about. Yeah, it's so, so important. I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think as well for many companies there, uh, it's also a good thing that they're being stretched and they're being challenged to to think deeper than just some of the kind of superficial uh, skin deep perks maybe that you know otherwise would have substituted something that is altogether so much more important for, for companies. Um, and I have to ask you that, you know, we've spoken a lot about remote work. This is something you've been practicing uh, for a long time now. What is your thesis? What's your opinion on the future of work? And I guess I'm specifically interested as well. Um, this change, I guess, nobody saw coming and this way that we, you know, we've been accelerated to remote working. What do you think it means for, you know, the next five years in terms of companies and technology, but also outside of our sector? Uh, you know, I think it just accelerated the future by a decade. Uh, you know, a sobering fact is I think the virus has done more in three months than I've been able to do in 10 years. Uh, but we've really gone into the future in in a, a really big way. And I think what really matters here is to understand what's not working and fix it quickly. There are plenty of things that you can do wrong. Um, this is the time where we can improve diversity, we can improve inclusion, and we can improve efficiency and have more efficient companies. And so I think it's really important for companies to pull uh, their managers, to pull their employees and to figure out, you know, very quickly, like, what are we not doing well and to optimize for it? Because that train has left the station and it's moving fast right now. Yeah. So you, you think that the, I guess this change will show companies a way of working that means that you know whether they like it or not we're not going back to the way things were you know this is something that's here to stay and whether we go to hybrid environments or fully remote environments we now have to adapt to this new way of working yeah i mean i i i doubt that every company is going to be fully distributed anytime soon right i mean like uh there's there's definitely going to be a hybrid model which is one thing that companies need to figure out is how you become inclusive of the remote workforce when there's a lot of people still in the office. Um, But I think there's a lot of misconceptions companies had about remote work that are being disproved right now. Now, 
to be fair, I think there's also a concern right now that because people are working from home in conditions that are not ideal, you know, as I said earlier, people that are sick and people that have kids that are, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I think some companies might come to the wrong conclusion, which is, wow, this was a real failed experiment. We can't wait to have everybody back in the office. But the reality, though, is the workforce has moved on. So if you as an employer, you think you can go back to the old ways, you're going to lose a lot of your team members because they're not moving back. In fact, the, the place they're moving to might be outside of where they live right now in a place where they can have a much better lifestyle. Frankly, I think the workforce is going to be voting with their feet. If you don't allow people to work more flexibly post-COVID, there's a lot of employers who will, and they'll attract the best talent. That's a really interesting way of looking at it, which actually it's the overall market for employment and flexibility, as you say, as soon as it's there with one set of employers, it's going to become something that people, people prioritize. So there you have it. Remote work has its benefits for employers, employees and society. And so in Stefan's opinion, we've accelerated the future by a decade. And it's time for businesses to consider what the long-term strategy for a hybrid or remote way of working will be. Whatever their decision, securing people and empowering them to work both productively and safely has to be a priority as employees can now work from anywhere. If you want to learn more about securing your hybrid workforce, we have plenty of great content and actionable advice over on the Tessian blog. And that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with more Human Layer Security Insights in our next episode. But if you can't wait that long, you can visit our blog at tessian.com forward slash blog, where you'll find lots of amazing content, advice, and tips. And if you enjoyed our show, please rate and review it on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.